good morning, FBN. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, before we get into that, I want to just point out to you uh, that we have kind of a redesign of our program, our bulletin, whatever you want to call it. There's a couple things I want to point out to you uh, because it's, it, it matters. Uh, first is our welcome card is now in here. Um, and so if you are a guest, we are thrilled that you're here. Uh, and the only thing that we ask from you, if you choose to honor us in this way, is just to fill out this card. It's in perforated paper. And then take it to our welcome desk and way out so that we can thank you for coming. We can connect with you. Uh, we know it's a big, big deal to try something new for the first time. And so we're thrilled you're doing that. On the back page, I want to point out to you, there's a section called Kids Interaction. All right? So kids, uh, this is for you. Um, and hear me, adults. Kids, this is for you. All right. Um, there's a list of questions for you to kind of follow along through the service um, that you can answer, and then you can go over with your parents after. And it's just kind of designed to help you stay engaged uh, with the sermon and with the service. Um, and so you can check that out in the back. And then on the front, you'll see here. These are this is our section for sermon notes. This is anything uh, brilliant or profound you might hear during the sermon. I know what you're thinking. That's way too big a section, right? You. You didn't have to say it out loud. I have feelings, okay? Um, but this is where you can track the sermon, and then on the inside covers is kind of everything that's coming up, everything that's happening in our FBN reading plan, which we want you to follow along with. So uh, shout out to the bulletin, right? Uh, take, take note of that. If you didn't grab one, please grab one uh, on your way in from now on. Um, and then now I'm going to turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to invite uh, Ruth Hodge up today. Ruth uh, kind of gets the heavy lifting. If you've been around here the last few weeks, you know we've been doing one verse at a time in chapter 4. Today we're going to get crazy and do three of them, all right? And so Ruth has to read way more than anyone's had to read in a long time. So encourage her by standing with her, if you will, as she reads God's word for you this morning. Ephesians four thirty through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thank you, Ruth. Let's pray. God, this is your word. Uh, this is your day. These are your people. Uh, this is your hour. This is your building. Uh, everything is yours, God. And so I pray that we recognize that at the outset. And, and that as we uh, sit under this word, as we unpack it, God, we pray that you would be the one who speaks and the one who moves and convicts and encourages and you would get the glory from all this. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. So to open this this morning, I just want to start with a simple question. I want you to think about this. What, or sorry, who is the one person that you hate to disappoint the most? I can remember a night back in high school, uh, Cloverdale, it was a Friday night, Cloverdale just had a football game, and uh, we did what you do in Cloverdale after a football game, you go to Hardee's, because Hardee's is the only thing open in Friday night in Cloverdale, and so uh, there's a group of my friends, a group of my brother's friends who would go there, hang out after the football games, and then uh, my parents had a very simple rule, right, if you, on a Friday night, uh, the curfew is 11, but if you want to be out past 11, all you have to do is call. Just call, let us know what you're going to do, where you're going to be, check in with us, get the okay. And so uh, that was just sort of the pattern we followed. And on this particular Friday night, we were invited to a friend's house after Hardy's. And so we took up the invitation and, and went out there, and there was just one major problem. We didn't call, right? And it wasn't this willful defiance, like, I'm a teenager, you can't tell me what to do thing. It was simply we just spaced it. I thought my brother was going to call, he thought I was going to call, and so we ended up leaving and neither one of us called. Okay? Now... This is complicated by a couple different things. This was the 90s. There were no cell phones. 
Okay, so they couldn't just text us to figure out where we were. If we didn't call, there was no communication. Secondly, we didn't just go to this friend's house. We went uh, not to his house, but to uh, the pond that was five acres away from his house, all the way back in his property. So we were completely unreachable altogether. So imagine what happened at my house once the clock struck 11 and then 11.30 and then midnight. What, you parents, imagine what's going through their heads, right? Around 1 a.m., uh, Danny and I look at each other and say, you know what, we should probably get home. And so we asked uh, our friend who drove us, hey, can you give us a ride home? And so we walk the five acres back to our uh, buddy's driveway. And, and as we're walking up, we see our father pulling in his driveway. Now, I don't know how he tracked us down. I've never asked him. I didn't care to find out, okay? Um, I knew when I saw him, I was like, that, something's off here. Something's not right here, right? And I quickly discovered that neither one of us had called. And we got... Um, let's just call it a talking to, all right, all the way home, and it was rightly deserved. And, and I have, a, I have a, a healthy fear of my father, but man, there's not a single thing he said to me that night that impacted me anywhere remotely close to what impacted me when I walked in my front door. And I found my mom weeping in the living room because she just assumed I was dead somewhere, right? All because of my complete thoughtlessness and carelessness. And I never forgot that, right? And so let me ask you, who, who is it that you hate disappointing? I, uh, I have kind of, I, I hate disappointing anyone. And I think there's some strengths and some weaknesses to that. Um, and I'm discovering there's more weaknesses than I thought, right? But even me, right, there, there are people whose view of me matters way less to me than others who are close to me, who I love, who have been wonderful to me. And I hate, I just hate the idea of hurting them or disappointing them. What if I told you this morning that that the one whom I should hate, most hate disappointing, is the one I most often disappoint with shockingly little regret? And what if I told you that you're just like me in that? Did you know that where you sit somewhere, did you know that you have the capabilities of hurting God? Now, you can't touch him. You can't do anything to him. You can't physically hurt him. He's not desperate for your attention. He's He's not needy for your love, right? But you can absolutely break his heart. You can absolutely cause him grief. In the book of Genesis, we're told that the Lord looked out before the flood and he regretted in his spirit that he, ever, that he even made man. We have this powerful scene in the book of Matthew where Jesus is looking over the city of Jerusalem and, and Jerusalem in this passage is a, is a representative of just the children of Israel as a whole and he, and he says to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have loved to gather you to myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks but you wouldn't have it. And you can't read that passage without hearing the despair in his voice. Listen, when God's children who are made in his image, bought by the blood of his son, choose to reject his ways, and as a result, sin's ramifications are felt by them and those around him, it grieves the heart of God. And sometimes we make a colossal mistake. That in rightly celebrating God's endless forgiveness and grace, and we should rightly celebrate that, sometimes we wrongly begin to posture as if it does not matter to God how we live. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's why, I don't know if you've noticed, it's why we've been painstakingly slowly walking through the end of chapter 4. Because at the beginning of the section, Paul paints this picture for us that, that this life of following Jesus, it, it begins with belief, it begins with faith and trust. But then you get in this journey where you begin taking off characteristics of the old man. You begin putting off sins that used to define who you are. And then you begin putting on more and more characteristics of the creator, right? 
And there are these markers of the old self, these, these stains of the sinful nature that, that harm us and hurt those around us, and they absolutely grieve the heart of God. And if Ephesians 4 has taught us anything, it's that they're not to be celebrated, they're not to be abided, they're not to be accepted, they're to be put off. And so today we're going to close out this chapter by looking at the idea, just the, the very idea that God's children can grieve him. And I'd like to land this morning by just looking at how much better it is for our aim to be to please him. So look at Ephesians 4 and verse 30 again. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now the first truth I want to pull out from Ephesians chapter 4 this morning is a pretty obvious one. We just read it, but it's simply this, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now you must understand, right, that the Holy Spirit is God, right? He's a member of the Trinity, and he's probably the most uh, mysterious, least understood person in the Trinity. And I say person because often the people, people wrongly refer to the Holy Spirit as it, right? And so the Trinity is this, this amazing concept that a five-year-old can understand and, and we can never grasp the fullness of, right? It's, it's that God, our God is one. He's one God, and yet he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three persons of the Trinity are united in identity, they're united in being, they're united in purpose, they're united in oneness, but they do have some unique roles, and so just to, just to help you understand some, some really cool things that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf, and one of the most gracious things he does is he illuminates. Right? He brings things to light that we might not otherwise seen. And the first one of those things is our sin. Right? Jesus said in John 16 that the, the, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, would come and that he would convict the world of its sin and convict the world of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit is the first one that, that, that builds in us that desire, that need for a Savior. Second, the Holy Spirit uh, illuminates God's word for us. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that, that we, with the Spirit, can understand God's wisdom. We can understand his word because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And without him, we wouldn't be able to. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus. Right, Jesus himself says in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit will come, he will glorify me. Right, so he not only just shows us our sin and our need for a Savior, he not only illuminates God's word to us, but he also points us to the hope that we have for salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Now there's another amazing thing uh, that, that the Holy Spirit does that we are told here in verse 30. Did you catch the language? It says that you, with whom you were what? You were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, and, and I'm going to park here for, for about a minute because okay, I want you to just sort of marinate and bask in, God, in God's grace to you. And so we're going to throw some, some uh, verses on the screen for it. And I, I want to read these slowly and just kind of have them sink into your mind and heart this morning. First is in First Peter. It tells us this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's salvation, right? That you've been given a new birth and you now have an inheritance in heaven that can never fade. And listen to this. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Second passage we want to throw up there is in 2 Timothy 1. This is Paul writing to his protege Timothy and he says to him, that is why I'm suffering as I am. And then listen to this confidence. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to what? To guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. 
Now, a few months back, we in Ephesians chapter 1 and 13 and 14 tell us this. They said, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And listen to this. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Do you get what the Bible is teaching us? Is saying to you that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, not only are you adopted into God's household, not only are you brought from death to life, not only are your sins erased and forgiven forever, then you are also shielded and guarded and sealed by God himself, and specifically the Holy Spirit is the one who acts as that seal. He is your deposit. He's your guarantee until the day of your complete redemption. That is astounding. And here's what this means, that your relationship with God was made possible by grace and not by your works. Your relationship with God was founded on grace and not by anything you did. Your relationship with God was realized by his grace and not by your works. And your relationship with God will be brought to fulfillment by his grace and not by anything you did. I hope you know you're never the hero. And I want you to think about it. We, we exalt Jesus a lot around here, and that's right to do, by the way. That's what we should do. There is, Acts 4, there is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved other than Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, that Jesus has been given the name above every other name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must be exalting Jesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit does too. But I want you to grasp this morning that if you know Jesus Christ today, you know him because his spirit revealed him to you. You know him because his spirit showed you your sin and your need for him. You know God because his Holy Spirit has illuminated the word of God for you and he lives in you and he's guarding you and sealing you. But like anyone else that you spend a lot of time with, we can grieve him. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing before the religious leaders of Israel and his charge to them is that they are resisting the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are told not to quench the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, right? We do this when we ignore his work in our life. When we look away from the things that he's illuminating for us and we reject his wisdom and ignore his word. And verse 30 says flatly that we can grieve him. I've already told you that God's not this desperate, needy God. And so how is it that we can grieve someone who needs nothing? Well, I'm not going to pretend this list is exhaustive this morning. But there are three clear ways that I like to point out, ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And the first is simply this. It's using him to excuse our sin. Have you ever heard someone say that, that God told them to do something that God would have never told them to do? We use this idea of divine revelation, divine leading, and we often attribute it to the Holy Spirit to justify something that the Word of God clearly prohibits. And what you need to know is this, that God is consistent. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God. They are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he will never declare an act act righteous that he has already declared in his Word to be sinful. Simply will not do it. Which leads to the second way that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and that's that's pitting the Holy Spirit against the Scriptures. You understand that one of the Holy Spirit's main purposes is to illuminate the Word of God for us, not to lead us away from it. 
And so what happens is that when the Holy Spirit is overemphasized over the rest of the Trinity, people claim that he's giving them uh, things they call new revelations, right? New words, new prophecy, new fire, whatever term they want to give it. Now, it's true that the Holy Spirit's job for all eternity will be to lead us into truth, but there are things that we must keep in mind that the Bible has expressed clearly to us. John chapter 14 tells us this. This is Jesus teaches disciples, and he says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Keep that in mind when we look at 2 Timothy 3, in which Paul reminds Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. That's Holy Spirit-inspired. So all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. That in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. I want you to understand what, what the Bible is revealing to us there. That Jesus Christ, God the Son, came in human flesh. And he taught us everything that we'd ever need to know about life and sin and our need for him. And he lived the sinless life that you and I could not live. And he died on the cross uh, to pay our price. And he rose again. And the Holy Spirit took every single thing that Jesus said and he preserved it until the apostles were teaching and writing. And then the Holy Spirit inspired their words as they filled out the rest of the New Testament. And we have these God-breathed scriptures useful for all that we need in life. And And the Jesus the Bible points to is the final word from God. He is the last word. And so it makes no sense at all that the Holy Spirit would ever add to, subtract from, or change the word of God. It's his word. He preserved it. He breathed it out. He formed it. And to this day, he points us to it and illuminates it for us. Listen, there is absolutely no need for new fire, new revelation, whatever you want to call it. If you ever hear someone give a message that does not line up with the revealed, inspired, living word of God, that message did not come from the Holy Spirit. We grieve him when we invoke his name and then discredit the word that he so painstakingly gave us. And then thirdly, we grieve him when his children act as if he's not present. All of you parents know, right, that kids disobey. It's kind of what they do. Right? And I don't, but I don't know about you, for me as a parent, there's a greater level of frustration and disdain when they do it right in front of my face. Like, I'm right here. Like, I didn't, I'm not going to see that. Like, I'm not going to punish that, right? And so imagine, right, for a second, what the Holy Spirit must feel like when he takes up residence inside our hearts and then we reject his leading and ignore his conviction and act in ways as if to suggest he's not present at all. And this pain is doubled when we do this to one another, to others who've been sealed by him, which is why it makes sense in the world to me that verse 31 follows verse 30. Verse 30 is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to what verse 31 is. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Second thing I want to pull out to you this morning is this. It matters deeply to God how his children treat each other. Jesus said that the world should know that we are his followers, his disciples, by the way that we love one another. Well, we get in the way of that, don't we? More specifically, our sinful nature gets in the way of that. 
This is why Ephesians 4 is in the Bible. It's why it matters to God so much that we put off the old self. It's why it matters so much to God that we walk and act and love in the new self that we've been given because it's his glory, not ours. It's his name. It's his reputation that's at stake. And so I want to walk us through each of these quickly so we can understand uh, what it is we're being told this morning by Paul in the the word of God to, to put off, to get rid of. And the first is just this idea of bitterness. Bitterness is a feeling that takes root. This is not a short-term, short-lived sensation. When we are harmed, when we are wrong, it's completely natural for us to feel hurt or be upset or or feel oppressed, right? But you'll see in in just a verse, when you get to verse 13, you're going to see that we're called to forgive others. But I want you to know this morning, right, that feeling harmed when you're harmed, feeling offended when you're offended, that's not sinful. Bitterness is making the choice to stay there. Bitterness is taking that ill will that you feel towards someone and planting it and watering it and allowing it to root and grow. This is holding on to the grudge. It's clinging to hurts. It's wearing them like a badge, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not for you. Regardless, whether you, don't, whether you believe in Jesus or not, bitterness is always a fool's game because the one that always hurts most is you. But man, especially if you have tasted the complete and total forgiveness of God, who are you to cling to wrongs and hurts and revel in them? Bitterness has no place in the church of Jesus. We're told to get rid of rage and anger. The Greek words there are are somewhat interesting to me. The word that we have, anger, means a, a settled sort of constant feeling of anger. And rage is this sudden outburst of anger, right? Which pretty much covers the whole gamut, doesn't it? And so if you carry yourself with just an angry disposition, that the kind of way you look at life is you're looking for the next thing to be mad about, that everything is filed through the, through the lens of how can this offend me? How can I get worked up about this? Are there some past memory and hurt that's carrying, that you're carrying that just gives you an edge at all times? I mean, that type of living is exhausting. And we're being told here that if you're in Jesus Christ, it's, it's not for you. And that can also lead to outbursts. This is simply lacking the ability to feel angry without losing your stuff. We covered a few weeks ago that it's possible, right, to, to, to feel anger and not be sinful, but you can experience it and, and give way to rage, can't you? Because rage is where you've lost all self-control. And seeing how self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, it should not surprise us to see why his children acting in such a way would grieve the Holy Spirit, These have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Our interactions with one another should never be defined by rage. Our disposition towards one another should never carry an edge or have a persistent anger and distrust about it. It's just simply not for us. Then we're told to put off brawling and slander. Now, I don't know about you, when I heard the word brawl, I think of uh, insane parents at a Little League game throwing punches over some call a 13-year-old umpire made, right? But the word here actually doesn't mean like a, a fist fight. It literally means just shouting and clamor. It's a, it's a scene, right? And it feeds right into the rage argument that Christians need to be able to have conversations with one another, especially conversations where they're disagreeing without diving down into screaming and shouting. Now, even in our conversations with those outside the church, if they raise their voice, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you keep yours lower. And listen, I know how hard it is. Or how easy it is to get there, right? I, we, just, we don't just have the Holy Spirit, do we? We also very much have the sinful nature, and it too is very, very present. Right? And so in all of these, 
Remember, we remind you all through the end of Ephesians 4. If we fall into these things, we must seek the Lord where we confess them to him, repent of them, recognizing that we've grieved him and make amends with those we've hurt as well and, and, and plead for his grace to cover us. The word used for slander is similar to the word used for blasphemy. It simply means to, sell, to tell something that isn't true about another. And man, this one's really low. I don't even know how you could justify this one. To intentionally paint a false picture of another human being in an effort to make them look bad just screams childish immaturity. So how much more does it grieve God when those who bear his name and have his spirit wade into those waters? And if that list wasn't sufficient enough for you, Paul's like, just in case I missed anything, get rid of every form of malice. It covers anything he hasn't mentioned. Malice just means ill will, wicked intent, any form of negativity, any form of harboring bitterness, any form of vengeance or retribution or grudges or fights or quarrels. All of them are out, Paul says, because a vengeful, drama-filled, victim mentality, easily triggered life is not for you anymore. And it has no place in the church of Jesus because it matters deeply to God how his children treat one another. And then we're told in verse 32, that we're called to imitate our Father. Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're we are being called to live in a way that the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us into. And so let me just throw this question out here for you to ponder this morning. How has God treated you? I think it's an important question for us to ask because what happens to us, in, in our flesh, when, when we are wronged and when we are hurt, when we are offended, we immediately feel this urge, right, to, to, to go get ours, to go get our vengeance, to go get our justice, to go get our retribution. We're going to make this right. But does that represent the gospel of Jesus Christ at all? In case you don't know, remind yourself of the story. You were made in God's image. He formed you in your mother's womb. You were placed where you were placed by him. You were shaped by him. You were given life by him. Every single good thing in your life comes to you directly from him. And he's given you his word that leads you in the best possible way of living. And we have taken all this and we in turn have rejected his commands and rejected his rule and we ignored his authority and we rebelled against his standards and we decided that we knew better than he did. And so we deny his existence and, and we harm those that have been made in his image and we try again and again and again to take his place in our lives as Lord. And so repeatedly, again and again, over and over, we have hurt and rejected and abandoned and despised God. And how did he respond to that? By unloading all of his anger and all of his wrath and all of his judgment on, of our sin onto himself suffering brutally and dying in our place to destroy the power of sin, all to reconcile us back to him, all to offer complete and total forgiveness of sins to any who believe in him. So let me ask you, how is it that we can experience that and then withhold forgiveness from another? How is it that we could ever taste that and still be an angry, vengeful person? How is it that we can know that and still be slanderous and unforgiving and not give people the benefit of the doubt? How can we be covered in that grace and not be defined by joy? Of course God wants us to forgive as he forgave us. Of course we should be people who, who have hurts and slights and offenses roll off our backs like they're nothing because they are nothing because we know what grace is. We know what real love is because we've experienced it fully in Jesus Christ. 
And we've been called to show it to others. So there's three things I want, I want to lay before you this morning just to wrap this up. And the first is, I think this would just be healthy for all of us. I think we should apologize to God for how we've grieved him. I don't, I don't want you to miss this this morning, right? Verse 30 tells us this, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to bum everyone out today, but that reality should sit on us like a heavy weight this morning. That the God of all creation, the one who took our place, the one who sealed us, the one that we deserve nothing from, but who's given us everything, he is grieved by the sin that still exists in my life. That should move me. That should have an effect on me. There's this pattern of, of Christian living that, that too often what we want to do is we want to leave it back at the point of salvation. And the pattern is of confession and repentance. Of going to the Lord and laying out your sins before him in prayer and repenting of them, uh, turning from them, asking both for his forgiveness and also his aid and help and grace to fight in the future. This pattern needs to be an ongoing daily pursuit in your walk with Jesus. And if you cannot remember the last time that you confessed your sin to him, you simply are not taking your sin seriously enough. James chapter 4 tells us this. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And then listen to this. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and what will happen? And he will lift you up. When's the last time that you could say you were actually broken over your sin? When was the last time that your posture wasn't presuming on God's grace? When was the last time that you meditated on the idea that you were grieving God? Wednesday nights, we're going through the study on the 50 key major plot points in the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation. And, and in the kind of the season we're in, we've been studying the Israelite kings recently. And so one week we, we, we studied uh, David and then another week we studied Solomon and, and both men have kind of remarkable uh, similar stories. They both have these meteoric rise uh, by the hand of God and they, and they get to the heights that, that they never could have seen possible and both men are completely brought down and ruined by their own sin. Yet there's one clear difference in the Bible. In the Bible, after David's death, every time David is referred to, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. In the Bible, Solomon's epitaph is really bleak and dark. And the difference is right here. If you read in the Psalms, Psalm 51 and others, when, when David is confronted by his sin and the massiveness of it, he falls before God in brokenness and confesses it and repents of it and pleads for forgiveness. We see no such actions from Solomon. And there's the difference. God is not asking for you to be perfect. He's asking for you to be broken. And I guarantee you, if you do this for the first time this morning and come to him in confession and repentance for salvation, or you do this for the 10,000th time, if you come to God this morning in brokenness and in confession and repentance, you will be washed anew in his grace and his mercy and his love and forgiveness. You will experience a depth of your relationship to him that you otherwise have not experienced must have this be a part of our walk with him. Secondly, we must let go of any remaining ounce of bitterness in our souls. And no follower of Jesus should carry themselves with an edge to them. You've been given too much, you've been forgiven of too much. And it matters deeply to God that you don't give yourself over to withholding that from someone else. And, and admittedly, I, I stand before you this morning saying that as someone who's, who has never had some great injustice carried out against me. Yet, at least, right? 
But man, I, I think there is a clear line between someone who desires to forgive but is having trouble moving on and someone who is just willfully sinking into bitterness. Because one, the first, is met by the grace of God. It's covered by the power of God and it eventually experiences the freedom of God. The other removes God from the equation entirely and just sits in the sin and chooses to stay there. And no follower of Jesus should ever be in that place. Pray and ask God to experience the freedom that comes from the release of forgiving others. And then thirdly, ask God to help you keep growing them. I want, I want to remind you as we close out chapter 4 this morning just how this whole section started. And so look up in your Bibles a few verses starting in verse 22 of Ephesians 4. And it says this, that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is describing for us God's vision of your spiritual journey for life. And if you weren't here, we use this stage to signify this, where we talked about if the cross would represent Jesus, right, and our ultimate goal is to look like him in true righteousness and holiness, then before we believe in him, we are as far removed away from God as we could possibly get. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And so the very first step in this journey is simply just to believe in Jesus Christ. To place your tra- trust, uh, faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. But that is not the finish line. Right? Why would we think over here is the finish line? Over there is the finish line. And what Ephesians 4 has been telling us is that as we go on this journey, there are things that we absolutely need to put off. There are sinful habits and attitudes and characteristics. They're just sinful things that we do that we need to shed as followers of Jesus as we approach more and more who God made us to be. And the closer we get to that, there is more and more we need to put on, right? And so just look at, look at chapter 4. We have been told to put off falsehood. We've been told to put off anger, to put off theft and laziness, to put off corrupt speech and bitterness, to put off rage and slander and malice. And we've been told to put on truth and to put on freedom and to put on forgiveness and to put on work and to put on peace and to put on kindness and compassion and gentleness. Listen, you are somewhere on that journey this morning. Every one of you is somewhere on that journey. And so next week, as we start chapter 5, we're going to have a couple verses of similar themes, and then it's going, to, it's going to move away from this. And before we move away from this, there are two questions that I want you to take before the Lord. It's simply this, where am I? Where are you in this journey? And more importantly, what is your next step? What is the thing that God is asking you this morning to put off? What is the thing that you've held on to for far too long that he's telling you to remove from that? It's simply not for you anymore. And what is, what is the characteristic of his heart? What is, the, what is the quality of our God that he's asking you to put on that's just too absent in your life? 1 Corinthians 10 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Your calling could not be clearer, Christian. You want to know what you're supposed to do with this life? We live for the glory and pleasure of Jesus Christ. So our aim in everything that we do, every area of our life, should be to grieve him less and less and please him more and more. So I want you to just imagine this morning the freedom and joy in store for us as we shed more and more of that which is just simply not for us anymore. I want you to imagine the, the adventure and the fulfillment ahead of us as we put on more and more who it is that we have been created to be. 
You were not saved for a moment. The finish line is not over there. You've been brought into an eternity long pursuit of Jesus. What you need to know this morning is what's the next step. And then take the one that's right in front of you. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for passages like Ephesians chapter 4. We're grateful for, for things that, that discourage us to show us how, how many things we still need to put off. And yet for verses that encourage us of, of, of how wonderful things that you are going to put on for us. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we sit in that tension this morning as a church as we wrap this chapter up. That, that we feel the weight of our sin. We feel the weight of the fact that we grieve you. And Lord, that would, that would move us and spur us to action and repentance. And yet, God, I also want us to sit in the hope of the promise of Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in us as the body of Christ, he will see it through to completion. And so, Lord, I pray that, that around this room right now, that you would put your finger on, on things in our lives that you are simply asking us this morning to put off. Things that just that you're not pleased with and you don't want us to accept or have anymore. And then God, also around them, I pray that you would show us characteristics of your spirit and your heart and your attitude that are just too absent in our daily realities that you want us to put on. You want us to go deeper in you and experience more and more. And I ask that we would just plead for those in our lives today before you. God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before Brandon Grace lead us in the final song, we uh, are just going to set aside a couple minutes for you to spend some time with the Lord and just ask him some of the things that we've told you to ask him this morning. And we've got some guidance on the screens for you if you need it, but this is just a time uh, for you to spend with him and respond to what he wants to do in your life this morning.